time, wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we are so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks and sneaks, using this show to get you through a workout or a run, bettering yourself. Isn't it great to know I'm talking about you? Welcome to DLC, your (laughs) downloadable commentary for the week. DLC delivered the way it's meant to be, completely free, and that's thanks to our sponsors this week, Mac. Weldon and new sponsor, Parachute. They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show, all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who will be dropping his new visual album, very shortly. It's called uh, uh, Cran Apple, I think, which I don't, I don't think it's about me. I really don't think it's about me and our, our tumultuous relationship, but we shall see. It's Christian Spicer, everybody. Welcome, Christian. Hello. Actually, you, you jest, but I did just drop my very own subscription service. So it's like what? Tidal or Netflix or Blue Apron or any of these things or Loot Crate. Um, mine is only two ninety nine a month. You can find it over at patreon.com slash Christian Spicer. And with my uh, subscription service, unlike um, Loot Crate, where you get some junk you don't want, I guarantee you, you will get nothing you don't want. And unlike Netflix, you never have to feel the burden of binge watching all these TV shows to remain relevant with your group of friends because my uh, subscription service provides no TV shows. It actually provides nothing. For $2.99 a month, I promise I will give you nothing. You think that's a joke. It's not. It's all right. Real. Well, uh, all right. Sounds good. Did you see watch any of Lemonade, though, Christian? I watched all of Lemonade, and I can't wait for Ice-T to remix it so we can get an Arnold Palmer. Nice. Oh, man, we got a, we got a jam-packed week. I have been uh, wallowing in uh, a lot of depression. It has been the best of times and the worst of times for me. I got my vibe this week, and I got to see Civil War this week, and then uh, the greatest artist who ever lived died. So it's been an ups and down kind of week for me. I, you know, I'm a huge Prince fan, and uh, I have literally spent a lot of this week crying. I'm not ashamed to say it. Uh, it. It hit me harder than it really should have, that he's dead. It's unbelievable to me. So sad. Anyway, we'll get to that later. Uh, so I'm really glad to be doing the show because a new week has, has started, and um, there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about. So we're going to pull me out of my, uh, my sadness and get into the show. And we have a great guest to do it with, a new guest, which is exciting. And you know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, it's really cool because DLC stands for drums that look combustible. Because from the Exploding Barrel podcast, we have got a writer at GamesBeat and VentureBeat. We're happy to welcome Mr. Mike Minotti to the show this week. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. How's it going? Uh, man, I'm excited to be here. This is a beautiful yeah. Monday. At least it is, it in is Ohio. man. <laughs> You're in Youngstown, right? Yeah, yeah. Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, kind of in between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, it, I, I basically grew up here my whole life and have only been traveling the last few years since i started doing the games journalism thing and seeing the world and you know seeing how people in the west have three different holes for the trash you know like i i'm learning all about what compost is it's been very exciting for me youngstown is <laughs> home of the uh, golden pony mr tony hinchcliffe another fantastic stand-up comedian also apparently youngstown is the home of a lot of mafia i had no uh, idea yeah we, we were the murder capital of the country for a while i, I don't think anymore 
but yeah, you know, Good it's a answer. fun place. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. keep, keep like your eye out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. First, first in friendship and obesity. <laughs> nice. Well, you know, this was a huge week also for games. Uh, we had PAX East and lots of cool announcements, some stuff that hit right after our episode came out last week that we want to talk about, plus tons of games to get to in the playlist, including my first experience owning a Vive, and we got Star Fox, all kinds of cool stuff. So stay tuned, but we're going to start the show the way we normally do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always contribute stories for our consideration by using our hashtag DLCSOTW on Twitter or by visiting our subreddit, which is a really cool place where listeners of the show hang out and discuss the episode and uh, video game news in general. That is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. And we love getting your feedback via email. You can send us emails at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Lots of great emails coming up in the episode as well. But Mike, as our guest, you get first oh, pick wow. of stories. So what is your story of the week? Well... You know, I'm kind of a, a big Hearthstone boy, so this whole week is really just all about Whispers of the Old Gods for me. The uh, we, the release date was announced right after you guys uh, recorded last week, really, which is, it's the 26th, so it's tomorrow now. So yeah. that's super exciting. And e- even besides that, they're, they're making all these other changes to the game with the standard mode, and they introduced a bunch of card nerfs, and the nerfs actually went live today. So even today, the game is already different and kind of interesting to play but then tomorrow there's gonna be 134 new cards and uh, uh, oh my god i can't wait yeah this is pretty cool i love the fact that uh you know we say it over and over again but it's really it's really true it's a sea change at blizzard between this game and heroes of the storm the fact that they are much quicker at releasing new content that they're iterating much faster than that company ever has before with any of their products i think this is really huge and the fact that you know you can have uh, an announcement of a, an expansion and then it comes out within a few months of the announcement that is so unblizzard like uh, in you know in the history of that company this this game has really changed the status quo there and i think <laughs> no, that's pretty cool too it's great um they've i, I kind of like looked through the release schedule it's been about 4 or 5 months between every adventure or expansion it's nice too that you have the adventures which they introduce new cards, not as many, but they're also kind of about these fun little AI battles. And again, there's still new cards, so it still completely changes the landscape of the game. But then after that, you have these just super heavy card-focused expansions. It, it has just been this awesome stream of content. It doesn't feel like League of Explorers, they are Leo, uh, yeah, League of Explorers was all that long ago. Yeah, do you, do you, are you somebody that's excited for the the nerfs that they're introducing, the the, the balance yes. changes? Yeah. Yes. Oh my thing? god, I'm I'm so excited. Well, the, the big thing is a uh, combo druid, which was a very popular kind of uh, a deck that was basically built around getting these two specific cards that that played off of each other very well for druid class that let you summon a bunch of minions that had charge so they can attack right away, and you would also just buff them up immediately, and in like one turn. You could you could do a ton of damage, just you know, basically easily kill your opponent. And the, you know, the the biggest nerf was to the Force of Nature card, which summoned those uh, two two treants that had the charge. Those treants don't have charge anymore, so yeah. that whole kind of you can't thing just is uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you can't just zerg people with the with the, a, a horde of treants anymore. Right, and some of the other changes are just <laughs> you know increasing some mana costs uh, here and there. So like big game hunter. 
Very popular card just because it could kill any minion that had an attack of seven or more. And it only costs three mana, so it's like, well, why not have that card in your deck? You know, it basically saves you against any strong minion in the game. Um, and now it costs five mana instead. Which is good because it almost felt like a lot of people, you know, a lot of people weren't playing a lot of really strong, like, very ex- expensive cards because, you know, you would spend all your mana on one card and then your opponent would play, you know, a silent spell or a big game hunter and just immediately counter it. You're like, well, what was the point of that? So I, right. I think it's good that they're kind of making these these uh, these changes. Uh, this game is uh, one I, I played intensely when it first came out and for months afterwards. And uh, I've said before that I, there's really only room in my life for one Blizzard game at a time because they are sort of all-consuming. And it really has been pushed out by Heroes of the Storm. And, uh, you know, I love the enthusiasm around the community for Hearthstone. And I still love the game. I just I can't play more than one game that requires daily quests. <laughs> I just can't. Uh, but it's a big month for Blizzard. I mean... We have uh, Overwatch right around the corner. Uh, Heroes just introduced an Overwatch character. Uh, Tracer joined the game this week and uh, really plays wildly different than any other hero that has been in the game up to this point. Uh, And it's incredible how well they managed to convey that Overwatch playstyle into a top-down, isometric strategy game, really. Um, So, you know, they're doing a lot of... What was that? What was that, Jeff? Strategy. Did I say? Oh, okay. No, you, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, very, very cool. Christian, how about you? What is your story of the week? There are two big ones, and I hope we get to the other. The one I do not pick, my my other. It's uh, I'll give you a hint so you can hit it for sure, Jeff. It's the 90s. The 90s are alive and well in video yeah. games, not just yeah. in Portland. Um, <laughs> but Giant Bomb, my story of the week is Giant Bomb. It happened at the end of um, last week or mid last week, maybe, but after our show. And if you did not see it, Giant Bomb broke the details and the code name on the PS4K, saying that many sources were calling it the PS4 Neo or the Neo, which I feel like, I mean, is that an internal shot at Xbox One? Like, how many monomyth console names can we have at one time? Oh, and it's also uh, an anagram for one, right? Oh, it is. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait. It's for really the hard to anagram a three-letter word. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd meant like well done, well done, Sony on their snipiness. Oh. I, I do think the Xbox Jesus my... is going to be fantastic, though. Uh, <laughs> but they came out with the spec or the the leaked the leaked specs, and um, let's see, uh, it's written down here somewhere. But it's oh yeah, it's a higher clock speed, an improved GPO, and a higher bandwidth on the GPU. memory. And then the other big kind of news for me, at least, that came out of it is that every game beginning in October will have a um, a base mode and a Neo mode. And the Neo mode games will, you know, use the new hardware upgrades. But every other game, there will not be Neo exclusives. Your game still has to be PS4 vanilla supported. I, part of me loves this and part of me is like, I don't know, man, like the Hyrule Warriors for new 3DS runs like garbage on the regular 3DS. Like how bad is God of War going to run on my regular PS4? Are you are you guys excited? Are you pro Neo or more uh, Morpheus? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Which pill do you which pill do you take, Mike? It's it's kind of weird. The weird thing to this about me is that it doesn't seem like something the the first place team would do right this almost seems like something you would expect from microsoft to do like oh we're behind we need to do something kind of drastic here 
you know, the PlayStation 4 is selling like gangbusters. They're way ahead in first place. So it seems weird to do something like this that is going to be controversial. All right? Uh, no matter what kind of comes of it, 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 it is sort of like, you know, I have two thoughts on it. I think a lot of people do where it's kind of like, well, it is kind of disappointing that my PlayStation 4 games don't really look better. Um, you know, I think a lot of us have PCs right now that put our consoles to shame. So, and they're not even that old. So it's like, okay, cool. Maybe our console games are going to look better. But then it's this weird thing. It's like, oh, we're, we're going to buy a new system. Is it like, you know, it's a half system. What exactly is this? Does this mean? Um, how are those new games going to look on the old system, even if they're compatible? It's just very murky. It's just just a kind of an odd thing to wrap my head around. You're yeah, in the chat. It's best, Jeff. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was saying in the chat, uh, Stats One says I will pay two hundred dollars for the upgrade, but it's it doesn't really work like an upgrade. It's not. It's not an upgrade. It's you. You're going to buy a new console or not? Uh, you if you have a PS4. I don't think there's going to be a clear upgrade path. It is a new console, and maybe you can sell your old console or something like that. But it doesn't seem like an add-on, like a you know Sega CD or something like that. It it really feels it, this is a new iteration of the base console, and so it's probably going to be uh, it's going to be more along the lines of Apple releasing a new iPhone, where the new iPhone is X dollars and the old iPhone is reduced X dollars um, or Y dollars, I should say, um, so that they'll have these two tiers of entry points into the PS4 universe. And um, one of them will get you a, you know, higher quality image. Uh, It looks like they're going to, you know, it's going to be 4K supportive, but it's not clear as to whether the games will be actually uh, rendered in 4K or if there's just going to be some sort of upscaler. There's there's no, I mean, I'm not a developer, but just based on like the buff specs, like I'm running on my pc now right like a 980 ti and to run a game natively in 4k i mean it's 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 stressful on that type of gpu and maybe like a um i'm trying to think of like a a simple game but like you're not going to get the division running in 4k on just a half bumped step right i mean that's that's so processor intensive is my understanding well the thing that's so strange about this and i think is going to be what ends up being problematic is that Sony seems to be putting all the onus on the developer. They're saying, hey, we got these two things, and here's a bunch of rules. Part of the rules are you have to have, uh, as of October, if you come out on PS4, you have to have two versions of your game, basically. You have to have a, a, a version that works on the actual PS4 that everybody already has now. And if you so choose, it has to work on this new system. Uh, you can add certain, you know... Um, graphical flourishes, but there can't be any features that the new version can do that, or that the new system can do that the old one can't, uh, you know, it, it really makes the developer be the one that has to put in all the legwork. Like, yeah, you can bump up your resolution, but we're not going to do it for you. You got to do it yourself. And <laughs> I mean, also you have to make sure you're, you know, you can't be exclusives that only work on one of these two systems. You can't have a, you know, a PS Neo, uh, game. It has to be a PS Neo game that also has, functionality on regular ps4 so i think this is going to cause a lot of problems for cross-platform games and uh developers that really are already up against the you know up against the wall trying to get games out now this is an added wrinkle that they have to deal with or i wonder if neo just kind of ends up essentially you get pc ports right where i log in and play um uh 
the division or whatever, and I can select medium, high, or ultra for my graphics, except this is just an internal switch that happens. If it knows it's on a Neo, it bumps it over to Neo, which is the PC high. And PS4 is, you know, PC medium graphics settings. And basically everything is developed for the PS4 and Xbox One, but then they put in that extra asset pack or whatever they do kind of for for the PC port. I'm not saying that that is simple or easy to do, but I'm wondering if that's kind of the the approach. But then also, how do you review this? Like, Mike, if you get this game, or if you get a game, and it's you know presented to you, let's say God of War, that's the rumor that they're going to showcase on this thing, right? Mm-hmm. How do you write a review of that when it's 60 frames per second on the Neo, but you play it on vanilla and it's 25 or whatever? Do you get two scores or it's two full weird. reviews? Right. That's it's just it's just kind of bizarre because. You know, there's there's going to be two separate experiences now for for all of these games, and it's not just you know a small thing. I mean, this is completely different hardware. Again, it's just such such a risky thing. You're, you're risking angering developers because they're going to have to put in all this extra work. They're not going to like that. You risk angering consumers. A lot of them just you know spent four hundred dollars or whatever on a PlayStation Four, and now you're already telling them, hey, you don't have to upgrade, but that's you know, expensive system you bought, it's not the best anymore. <laughs> yeah, what's the <laughs> ad for this? Right, this is the exactly. best console. One you don't need if you have the old console, which is still good. But man, that old console sure sucks. It is just, Dude, it's are... just not the play from the first place console. I just don't get it. We're definitely going to have to get Mark for marketing on the line at some point, Christian, to deal with this one because this, this is a messaging nightmare. He's this trapped is a... in a closet till E3. He is uh, <laughs> he's stressed out. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think it's a bit of a bummer that this leaked this early. I mean, we, we heard rumblings for a long, long time. And, you know, we we'd, we talked to Patrick Klepek, who sort of broke this story. But having details like this, imagine if we didn't know any of this and on stage at E3, Sony drops the bomb. I think this would have been, would have been a much more exciting, impactful E3 if that had happened. It would have just blown people's minds. I don't know. I think this is a controlled thing. If th- This anger... There's a lot of like internet anger and trying to understand it. Like if that dropped at E3, I think people would be at first would be like, oh, wait, what does that mean? What, what, <laughs> wait, what's my, happening? My, I'm so excited about that console that I own now irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's a weird play. Now I think we get to come to terms with it. And now at E3, they can be like, we've heard your concerns. Here's what we're doing. And then we'll be like, yay, maybe. <laughs> There's a great uh, comment in uh, in the chat. AG, uh, AG Trans says that didn't the new 3DS show exactly how this would turn out? The recent Zelda game is apparently unplayable on original 3DS, even, it's av- even if it's available for it. Uh, that is true. I mean, Nintendo has been sort of doing this iteration, this uh, you know quick iteration of the handheld, at least, market uh, for a while now. And it has been problematic. I don't know. If if it means it's going to work out exactly the same with PlayStation, because uh, you know there seem to be much more rigid rules here in place from Sony saying you know you have to make sure the games work both both ways. But uh, I think he makes a great point there. But the new 3DS is kind of a weird example because the reasons I like that upgrade really have nothing to do with like the you know hardware improvements. It's just, or you know, like the graphical. I just kind of like that it has the eye tracking and it has that second little analog nub. It's I, I kind of forget that. Like, oh, yeah, there's like two games I can play on this thing that I can't play on the others and just yeah. kind of weird stuff like that. Well, I have to say, as somebody who has a 4K television, I am excited about that. I mean, I don't hmm. know. It's, it remains to be seen how good stuff looks uh, if it's just upscaled. 
Um, but I'm excited that 4K resolution is going to be supported on my television. I'm certainly thrilled. I mean, there's rumblings that, uh, you know, the, the big games we've, we already know about, like uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is going to have uh, PS Neo 4K resolution support, which I think that would be really cool. And, you know, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not excited about replacing my PS4, but uh, I do think that's pretty cool. So here's kind of the fun question. Is there any chance that this is Sony reacting to something they know about the NX that we don't know? I would be shocked if Nintendo comes out and says, it's a 4K device. (laughs) Uh, I would be shocked. But but it's an interesting conspiracy theory idea. Nintendo 64K. Yeah. I mean, everything we know or we think we know about the NX at this point is that it's sort of this mobile hybrid and the idea right. that on your screen at home it plays at 4K and then you put it on your handheld device. Although there are plenty of 4K phones out right now, so who knows? Yeah. It's going to be a very interesting E3 and it's coming up soon, man. It's almost time to to break out that train, tra- uh, Spicer. The hype train. Yeah. I know the hype train. I think Mark from marketing will ride in on the hype train. Right now both are getting serviced. They need... It's, I think they're in mothball. I think this year E3 is going to be big. Last year was big, but this year is now VR is like real, kind of. You know, I know it's real for you, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Becoming real, and then NX and 4K and Microsoft being like, "Hey guys, um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's gonna be crazy We're here too." <laughs> well, I think my story of the week is going to be the thing you referenced earlier, Christian, which is this news that actually hit this morning that uh, throwback to the 90s, the, uh, the, the developers, the designers of the original Doom, John Romero and Adrian Carmack, are launching a Kickstarter or have launched a Kickstarter as of this morning, uh, revealing their new first-person shooter that they're going to release sometime in 2018, I think. Uh, called Black Room, which is a throwback to the kinds of first-person shooters we used to have in the 90s. This is sort of a Doom-esque, quick, fast, Twitch-based first-person shooter. Um, And they want your money to make it. They're trying to raise $700,000 on Kickstarter, which they say will be enough to entice actual investors and show them that the, the, uh, the market is there and the people want this. Uh, the idea behind Black Room is that it's this world that is based on ho- holodecks, and so you're kind of fighting in holodecks, and uh, so that's going to give them this ability to create more crazy, outside-the-box kind of environments. But it's going to be visceral. It's going to be John Romero doing his thing again. Uh, you know, Daikatana didn't really work out when he was going to do his thing the last time. But, uh, you know, it's making some money already this morning. I don't think it's blowing the doors off anything, but... I'm just curious if anybody has alerted these guys that there's already people making a lot of these shooters. And in fact, I'm going to be talking about one in the playlist <laughs> called Lawbreakers that I played a couple of weeks ago. Um, what is your take on this, Mike? Well, first off, did you watch the pitch video? Because I don't know if it's intentionally hilarious, but it's, it's kind of hilarious. You just have John Romero like appearing as a hologram inside Scottish castles and stuff and walking yeah. down streets like waving at people. Like from a seventy sitcom, so I enjoyed that. Um, I don't. I think this is going to have a hard time getting funded. I, I, you know, I don't know if Romero and Carmack are kind of the names that that they want to be. Romero, at least, it's just sort of a hard thing to get excited about. You know, another Romero first person shooter. 
in 2016 where we, you know like we have kind of smaller studios like you said already doing the throwback thing pretty well and i think a lot of people especially you know mass market the people who would help raise seven hundred thousand dollars to fund one of these games i don't know if they necessarily want this kind of a shooter i think a lot of them have sort of moved on to the the halos and the call of duty which you know maybe we don't like them or whatever but they still have their roots very much in those dooms and wolfensteins and all that so and i don't think the concept here is like enticing enough to really stand out you know the holodeck thing is just basically an excuse to we can do whatever we want because we're gonna you know simulations uh and you're in space now you're in a castle i don't know it just seems it doesn't seem that exciting to me well i have to say this morning when i first uh put this story into the rundown and I was thinking it was going to be my story of the week. Uh, it had raised about $9,000, and here we are about two hours later. They're at $38,000. So maybe it is doing better than I thought. Um, I'm just surprised. I, I don't understand why so many people think that people are dying to have these old first-person shooters. They're, it seems like there's so many of them being made right now. Uh, I don't know if there's room in the market for all of these competitive first-person shooter, twitchy throwbacks to Unreal Tournament stuff. Quake, well, I think you know. Especially weird with this one where, like, the pitch is kind of from the creators of Doom. I mean, there's a new Doom coming out. Uh, there's also, so many buzzwords in that pitch. Well, it's, my do- wonderful it, dog. it's doing the thing that we're doing, too, but... Well, uh, your dog is very excited about Doom. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, my dog just loves Doom. Uh, <laughs> the, the thing, I mean, you know, in a way, Christian, this that might be smart because all of the buzz based on Doom's beta is that people are saying that it's not delivering the thing they wanted from Doom. Um, so much of of the, uh, you know, it got like an overwhelming response from the players saying that this is it's not good. It's not a throwback. It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, you know, deliver that kind of experience. So maybe this is timed actually smartly in the sense that they can kind of capitalize on, here's the guys that brought you the game you did like, and we're going to bring you another one. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's the same. Go ahead. No, go ahead, ahead, Mike. I just think, I think that kind of old style, that sort of Twitch FPS, I think if anywhere, the place that's going to maybe have a new life is going to be in VR and stuff like that. Not to, you know, get on the VR thought process already here, but that's kind of where that sort of thing can become exciting again. Yeah. Not necessarily just, you know, once again, you know, kind of doing the WASD with my mouse and shooting things. You know, it's fun, but I did that in the 90s. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, What would you say, Christian? Oh, I just think that there's this idea of, and I know that this doesn't have, this. it's not as if they're bringing Doom back, but I think people want to make things and they're trying to find ways to make it or have relevance, whether it's TV's Rush Hour, you know, finally a TV show based on that uh, trilogy of movies that you kind of liked from 10 years ago. And you're just like, I guess. And now it's like, from the guys that brought you that game that you loved, you know, gamers, well, I mean, it was before you were born, but... That game your dad loved. Time to play. It's it's weird, and everybody's trying to find this this hook. And I think the answer is, it, you know, just like let Blizzard make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what, we had uh, PAX East this weekend, and there was a bunch of announcements there, a lot of cool stuff happening. And one of the things that that 
conference always demonstrates to me is how many new ideas are out there. There are independent game developers all over the place innovating, really bringing something new. And I don't need the thousandth first-person shooter that is going to be visceral. This time it's going to be visceral. Oh, well, okay. No, no, they're working on Call of Duty. Right. (laughs) But, I mean, for example, uh, Supergiant Games, which is one of my favorite developers. These are the guys behind Bastion, which I still think is is in my probably top ten games ever. Uh, I don't know. It's, that's a bold statement, but it's it's up there. Jeff it's an, said that Bastion remains in his top games <laughs> ever. It's amazing. It's an amazing game. Transistor didn't really catch on with me as much, uh, but uh, this new, their third title was just announced, Pyre, and it looks extraordinary. It looks completely different than anything else you've played before. It's this weird fantasy hybrid of a uh, like a dodgeball game or basketball or something. It's a, it's it looks like a sport. Uh, but it's set in this fantasy setting, and you're throwing these essences into a pyre. But you really are playing this sort of team sport where you're passing the ball around. It almost looks like, you know, when we used to play uh, uh, NHL or, or uh, you know, on Sega, on, uh, on the Genesis, or uh, uh, NBA Jam or something. It's like a throwback to that, but done with this or modern... Or soccer. Yeah, exactly. This sort of modern take on that. It There are these wonderful, fresh ideas out there. I, I don't know... If we need 800 different competitive first-person shooters just because, you know, people will play them in esports, you know, I don't know. I don't know, guys. I don't know. Mm. Um, let's let's move on because I feel like uh, there's a ton of stuff to talk about in the playlist. But first, I want to thank our sponsor, Mac Weldon. You've heard us talk about Mac Weldon before. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not making this up. I'm wearing Mac Weldon underpants right now. And nothing else. Too much information? Perhaps. But that doesn't mean that Mack Weldon isn't super comfortable, which is why I'm wearing it. And, uh, and it's something that you probably should need. You want to upgrade your undergarments, your basics, the things that you wear most in life. It's silly that we spend the least amount of effort and time shopping and worrying about and thinking about the stuff that we wear the most often. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to look at that, you know, that cool pair of jeans or whatever and you're going to spend a whole bunch of money on them and you're going to wear them like twice a week tops right because they're your nice jeans but you wear your underpants all the time you wear your undershirts you wear your basics all the time they want you should want them to be comfortable you should want them to be awesome mac weldon's got your back they got socks they got shirts they got undershirts hoodies sweatpants underwear the stuff that you need the most they got it odor free anti microbial so that it eliminates odor, which is really important. They got it trendy, nice looking, really stylish. They got it comfortable, which is the most important stuff. Christian, you got my back on this. Oh, yeah. I am a big fan. They've passed my workout test, which is always my test for underwear. Like, is it comfortable to do a hard workout in? They have passed with flying colors, and they are regular rotation, uh, you know, always top of the pile, and therefore always dirty <laughs> exactly and guess what guys we're going to help you out we're going to give you 20 percent off your first mac weldon order go to MacWeldon.com. m-a-c-k-w-e-l-d-o-n.com use the promo code dlc at checkout you get 20 percent off upgrade your underpants it's great they got boxers they got briefs they got trunks they got everything you might need to feel better these are the tiny details that people actually notice and it's 
really silly that we we go to Target and get the cheapest junk instead of actually feeling good. It really does help, especially when that's all you're wearing, like I am right now. Should I have repeated that? No. Is it too much information? Probably. But I said it again, and I'm going to tell you this too. Use the promo code DLC. Get 20% off at MacWeldon.com. All right, guys. Let's hit it. Let's go to uh, the playlist. Ooh, you playing this week? Tell us. Ooh, you playing this week? Tell us on the playlist. Oh, my gosh. There, this playlist is overflowing with awesome. But I, I want to start, uh, Mike, with mm-hmm. Star Fox Zero. Because yes. uh, that is the big Nintendo release that happened this week. It really is one of the only Nintendo games coming out this year, right? That we know mm-hmm. about yeah. for Wii Especially U. for Wii U, yeah. That this is a big system seller game. This is uh, Miyamoto's return to Star Fox. <laughs> right? Man, Guys? it is divisive. And I have to say, it is... it, the fact that it came out uh, means that one of my, my crazy predictions for for this year uh, failed so uh, i i know that <laughs> i said this game would never come out and it did it came out was it a good thing that it came out mike so i like this game more than most people uh i i went actually about 83 on my review which was uh definitely on the higher end i see the complaints and this is going to be a divisive game I'm I'm not surprised that a lot of people don't like it, and, and I'm not going to be surprised that a lot of people continue to not like it. Uh, it's you know it's it's very much a Wii U game, maybe more so than a lot of Wii U games have been, where it is all about using the stuff the Wii U has, the the second screen and the, and the gyroscope controls for better or worse. And some of it is neat, I think. I think that. Having those two views of the action at every time, you know, on your TV, you're behind the ship. It kind of looks like a classic Star Fox view. And then on your Wii U pad, you're in the cockpit. So the idea is that when you're maneuvering and flying past asteroids and stuff, you're on the TV screen and you're looking there. And when you really need to specifically aim at a you know specific ship or a weak point, then you should go on the game pad and you can really kind of fine-tune your aiming. And then the aiming is the other big point of contention, probably more so than even that. Because by default, it's it's pretty much all gyroscope controls for aiming. So your left stick is, you know, flying, directional. The right stick is maneuver, so tilting, uh, you know, doing barrels and kind of that stuff. And then to aim, you are flipping and turning your gamepad all about. Now, the neat thing about this is that this means you can do things like, you know, turn to the right, but and still aim to the left. And you could, you know, really fine-tune your aiming. It's kind of like with Splatoon, if anybody played that. It, it, it's similar. The mm-hmm. You know, the problem is it's definitely not traditional. And so much of this game is nostalgia-driven. It's basically doing the same thing in uh, Star Fox 64 did, where it's basically just a remake of Star Fox again. It's the same story. You know, there's the Lilac Wars. There's a giant monkey taking over the space. And Fox McCloud's going to kill him with the help of his ghost father and it's going to be great uh you know the same the first level it's very similar it's it as somebody who is kind of like a big nintendo fan and i you know i i really do still have like that childlike love of nintendo 
you know, starting that first level and, you know, it's the whole Star Fox team is there and they're in HD and they're looking really cool and they kind of like all say their little call sign. They like fly away and they zoom past the water and it's a good looking game, especially for Wii U. You know, and, and people say for Wii U, but it's a pretty looking game, especially when you consider it has to output, you know, two different, uh, you know, views, that third person and that first person. So it's just really pretty, and the music is so good. It's that classic Star Fox soundtrack, but it's sounding so much better. And, it, you know, my first instinct was I want to turn off these motion controls. And you can't. The, the only thing you can and do is you that you can't. can make it. <laughs> you and can't. you, you can't. Sorry. Sorry. I just want to do <laughs> underline that, that. Yes. And it, it is a little frustrating. And I, the only thing you can do is you can change it so that the motion controls are only active while you're holding down the fire button. Which is a very weird compromise because, you know, then when you're firing down, you know, when you're holding down that button, it, you're, you're, you're typically already aimed where you want to be. It gets, uh, gets kind of bizarre. So, yeah, I don't know. People are just, people are kind of not into it. I got used to the controls, honestly. It took me about an hour, but mm-hmm. I kind of felt it and I was kind of digging a little bit. And just other things like getting the, the walker, uh, sort of transforming thing for your ship so you know you can fly around you can push a button it's like a transformer you know now you're suddenly walking on the planet and just kind of going around walking shooting something flying back up it's it's kind of fast paced i thought it was exciting i thought it was pretty it definitely you know it's going to be divisive just because it's not a lot of options of how you're going to play it you're going to play it like they want you to and a lot of people are maybe going to want something more traditional so the reason you liked it is is that you got used to it and you sort of took it on its own terms. Is that? What yeah, I'm... you know, my, what, my first instinct was like to turn it off and just do that option where the motion controls were only happening while you were firing. And then when I just kind of went back to how it wanted me to play, I, I got, I, I kind of figured it out. You know, I was, I was doing good. I was turning and I was aiming and I was shooting where I wanted to be. You know, it, it, it began to click after a while. And Would it having... have been fine if it was just normal? I think so. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people would have been more into it. I mean, do you think the game is fun? It, regard, you're setting aside yeah. the controls, do you think the game is, is a fun game? Yes, I think, it's a, I think it is a fun game. I think it's, you know, it's, it, it's... I don't know if simple is the word, but it's definitely... It's not complicated, you know? You're just, you're flying around, you have those on-rail sections, you have those more open sections, you know, you're doing your simple dogfighting. If somebody gets behind you, you either slow down or you do a barrel roll. Um, you know, bosses are neat. I, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And it's a short game, too, you know? It's just a few hours. But again, just like Star Fox 64, the idea is that you're, you're going to play through it multiple times and find these secret paths and find these new planets and almost kind of, like, try to improve your time and your score. It's, it's a, kind of that arcade feel. Yeah. Boy, I have to say that every time I played this game at an event, I walked away feeling like it was a complete disaster. Um, but I'm glad to hear that you f- you found fun with it because well, I, I think a lot of people have that opinion first because it's hard. You, you're not going to get used to those controls, especially in a convention environment. Right. Yeah. Your words were saying fun, but your tone was saying, "I liked Star Fox 64." <laughs> well, that that is kind of the thing, right? Is that you know maybe you still have Star Fox 64, but and, you know, not to put that much emphasis on, on the graphics and stuff, but it is nice to see, how, you know, this game looking so pretty. And I do think it's a pretty game. I do think it's it's just, it's you know, it's neat. It sounds good. The music's great. It's it's epic in a kind of way that Nintendo games maybe aren't too often. Hmm. 
Boy, talk about damning with faint praise. Um, I mean, I, 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 I take you at your word, and I'm glad you liked it. I, I just think that it is, other than maybe Zombie U, uh, this is the game that was supposed to be the most strident argument for why that controller makes sense, right? This is going to be a, a kind of a cool use of, of that Wii U controller. It really seems like Nintendo had no idea why they were putting that controller on this console. And none of the games that they put out, and especially this one, it, it seems like they're trying to shoehorn it in and make it seem relevant. And it, it I'm shocked that they came out with that control that console when they did with as little content as they had little content lined up. I mean, it really feels like this NX is like, okay, just forget about the Wii U guys. We, we screwed up. Uh, and it, I, I hate to characterize it that way, but it, it certainly feels that way. It, it is weird that kind of like the game that uses the gamepad the most comes out this late in the life cycle. And we've had a lot of Wii U games that just didn't use it at all. I remember um, Donkey Kong Country, that gamepad was literally just black the entire time. They didn't even bother putting a map on there. Right. But that so game's so good. A lot of so games good. kind of felt like that. Yeah. But again, that game just doesn't use the gamepad screen at all. Yeah, or, you know, Mario Kart with, like, a giant horn button on the yeah. center. You know, it's like, what? Why? Why take the time? Super useful. I'm I'm convinced that Zelda, when it finally releases on Wii U, is going to have, you know, maps and inventory on that screen, and that's it. Um, it's going to be just like the uh, HD ports of Wind Waker and Twilight Princess, yeah. I'm sure. It, it seems to me completely sad, honestly, that this console has been a, as horrific as an experience for everybody involved but i'm glad i'm i mean i don't mean to take away from what you said i i do appreciate that you liked it uh it's just not a game that i have any desire at all to play even though i okay. have a lot of a uh, lot of fondness for Star Fox. Mm-hmm. no and that's it does it I, I will grant it definitely feels like they didn't make a Star Fox game because there's a lot of passion to make a new Star Fox game i think they made a Star Fox game because because they thought it could work with what they were trying to do with the wii u yeah Let's talk a little bit about Bravely Second. Uh, you've been playing that as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I really enjoy my kind of um, old school JRPGs. I was really into uh, all the Final Fantasies. And this game is, you know, the sequel to Bravely Default, which came out here a couple or a few years ago, which was basically like a spiritual successor to Final Fantasy V of all things, mm-hmm. with the, the way the job system works. But yeah, I'm just a really, I just really like this game because it makes grinding so kind of peaceful and sublime and just soothing because you, you can like set um the encounter rate which is a we've seen some games do that but you can save your preset of moves so you can have like a configuration where everybody just uses their auto attacks right and you could just basically set that go to an area where you know people are pretty weak and just walk around you know and watch daredevil on netflix and grind for three hours and earn 10 you're levels. saying you like it's it because be- the game plays itself I know that sounds crazy, right? But I like that in a way. I lo- grinding is just so it's it's like this weird little soothing therapy thing to me. And it's it's a bit less it's not quite that easy. If you really want to grind well, you have to have uh, kind of a better idea. Like there, well, in this battle there's some guy who's weak to magic, so I need to use a preset that focuses more on magic attacks. And it's a lot about setting up your party to succeed in these situations. So you're going to have, you know, abilities that in that uh, make it so if you cast the same spell over and over, it's going to be stronger. And you have to have a certain job um, leveled up to a certain place to get that ability. And then it kind of, you know, you're combining jobs and abilities and like that. So, yeah, it's, it's 
the combat itself is fun, but it, to me it's almost secondary to the sort of, like, looking ahead at, you know, how am I going to level up my party? How am I going to grind experience as uh, quickly as I can? The other thing that kind of helps is there's almost like this gambit system where after you beat a battle, if you do it in one turn, you can go to the next fight and you'll see, like, a multiplier to your uh, rewards. Hmm. So you can kind of keep going. And, again, it just makes it a little easier and a little riskier. Interesting. So you think this is a game you would definitely recommend for people who like to do two things while they're playing video games? Yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> you know, the, yeah, Penny's a big fan of it, too, my dog. Yeah. Turn but that snark th- upside down, Mr. Kanata. Mr. Years <laughs> of WoW rating. Mr. has tried every MMO with his group of friends. Yeah. When they put Bejeweled, or whatever it was, Peggle into WoW, like, officially, like, <laughs> come on. Well, but I, you know, I never... I never felt like I needed to be doing something else while I'm playing those games. I, I, you're right. I shouldn't, I shouldn't. I just think it's funny that the first thing that Mike started with was the best thing about this game is that uh, it basically plays itself. It's like, oh. No, no. Grinding is love. You got to love the grinding. You have to embrace it. Yeah. I get like, that. I mean, to me, that's what a lot of podcasts are. I mean, you know, they literally do play themselves. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and yeah. I, have the, I have them going while I'm doing something else, and it makes everything better. So if that's what a game is for you... You know, more power, more power to that. I also will turn on um, X Men Two, Spider Man Two. I'm trying to. It's usually sequels of like old superhero movies. Avengers One. They're just going in the background, and I'm like, "There's that thing I love." Now back to these dishes. <laughs> like I'm at a point where I don't think I could like JRPGs have become such a thing on portable systems with the original games on 3DS, and then a lot of the PlayStation One classics on the Vita. That you, I really can play them while I'm doing something else and that's how I play pretty much all of them it's hard for me to imagine not playing a JRPG on a portable right now because I love you know it's it's kind of a dual task thing you know I'll be watching something or I'll you know be listening to something like a podcast and just grinding while I do it because I know I don't really need to listen to anything specific because I'm just <laughs> fighting monsters over and over we actually got a, an email about this Raphael sent us an email saying that he basically listens to audiobooks music and podcasts while he's playing games, and he wanted to know if we did that, and I think we just answered it. I don't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't, but I, I know a lot of people do. Oh, no. Yeah, it depends on what I'm playing. Like Division, Destiny, that kind of thing, yes. Uncharted 4, no. I will not have something else going in the background. Racing games, all the time. Uh, Forza Horizon, you betcha. I always like to have uh, on in the background uh, Mike's dog, just <laughs> <laughs> so that I constantly I know. know, you know. But whatever I'm doing, I just want to have that going. But yeah, I, think, we, I think I got some landscaping going here. I don't think she's a big fan of that. Yeah, we jest, but for real, the Youngston mob is breaking into Mike's house, and Mike's dog is like, turn around! Turn around! <laughs> you turn. fool! There's more important things than your podcast. I'm like, no. Timmy's in a well! Timmy's in a well! I will die for this. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about Lawbreakers, because I went and visited uh, North Carolina to, to see the game at the Bosque Studios, uh, you'll hear an interview I had with uh, Cliff Blazinski at the end of this episode, so stay tuned for that. It's a really in-depth interview. He was really frank and, and really cool about it. Um, I, I will say, first of all, you know, this isn't really a, a game for me. I'm not a competitive first-person shooter guy, but I was definitely struck by how much passion there is at that studio. It was neat that they brought us there because... We got a tour of the studio, got to meet a lot of the, the team that's making it. And it's really clear that these guys are only there because they really want to make this kind of game, which is uh, something we've talked about already in this episode, a throwback to these very competitive first-person shooters. This is going to be 
a uh, not free to play. It is going to be a boxed or a you know a downloadable but pay up front type of game. They say it will definitely not be sixty dollars. It will be less than sixty dollars, which is I think an interesting um, line in the sand that they're drawing. Uh, and it is very much a uh, high skill cap, kind of built for esports. Although they're not saying that directly. But uh, this is a game where if you're really good at it, you're going to be really, really good at it. It's, it rewards skill. And it is about being awesome in a first-person shooter multiplayer environment. The, the twist here is that there are areas in every map. Uh, we only played on one very specific map. But there will be areas in every map where gravity has been broken. So the, the, the law that we're breaking in the Lawbreaker's title is the law of gravity. And so you can you can run around in certain areas, and then you walk through this sort of uh, energy field, and all of a sudden you're weightless, and you can move in any direction, and even on the z-axis you can move in any direction. All you have to do is push forward on that uh, on that button, so you can float up, and you can float sideways, and go around. So it becomes this sort of chaos point in the middle of the map, at least on the map we played, where everybody's running, and you're trying to sort of play capture the flag a bit with this uh, energy sphere that you're trying to charge up. And uh, and then you get in the middle, and all bets are off as far as how movement works. So it it really adds a bit of chaos to the whole thing, which I thought was kind of cool. Ultimately, it felt like this you know one level in a bigger game type of thing. It didn't feel like something to build an entire game around. But maybe if I see more maps, I'll understand the different ways in which they'll use that gravity stuff. But you know, movement is kinetic and crazy and there's different classes and there's like, you know, there's a character that I played a lot that has a grappling hook that, you know, flying around and zipping yourself around on this grappling hook. Uh, and you can like literally jump off the map and zip back on it with the grappling hook. And there's other characters that can, you know, zip around in other ways. So it's so fast and frenetic. And uh, the people, you know, we watched the developers play a match at the end of the event and just seeing the difference in their skill level based on <laughs> compared to my skill level uh, really made me realize that this is a game for people that are going to get real good at it. Uh, and I think they're building something strong. I just, um, you know, it's just not really for me. But it's cool. It's cool. Are you guys interested in, in that kind of thing it's from Cliff Blazinski? Uh, I'm so just kind of fully aboard the Overwatch train right now. I can't even think about other shooters. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, um, I don't have the time. I mean, if it's that skill based, I'm sure I will try it and then be like, "This is neat," and then quickly be outclassed, which is my problem. It's not the game's problem, and I hope the competitive scene is awesome and vibrant and cool to watch because I I like. I mean, I still I'll pop in and watch some uh, Counter Strike go from time to time because what those guys are able to do and the shots they're able to pull off, I'm just like, "Whoop, that's incredible!" But if this is like a game that. Uh, you know, you can clearly get really good at. Uh, no, it's really <laughs> interesting. I clearly, will not. It feels like there's there's a whole raft of games that are being made now that aren't really made to be played by everybody. That are almost there to be played by a very small niche, and that's okay because they can be sustained by that niche. There's a you know deep well of people who are willing to put in money in these games that they get really obsessive about, which is sort of how I am with Heroes of the Storm, and others are with you know other games. And uh, so the games are sustainable, but also they uh there may be made more to be viewed by people it's it's almost like they'll get these really high skill players and the joy people have is watching super high skill players play them you know i think of games like spelunky even and even some dark souls stuff it's that maybe uh, they're 
the games themselves are sort of designed to be appreciated by people who are experts. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's the Twitch age of gaming, I say, as we broadcast on Twitch. Well, I think it's it's not even just twi- Twitch. It's it's this sort of splintering of the market is that there's such a density with how many games are being released that it splinters off, I think, into these subcultures. And the subcultures are super deep and super passionate and super intense. You know, there's like the Eve you know, uh, uh, online community. There's all these crazy, deep, interesting communities that bubble up every now and again. You're like, oh my God, yeah, there's like 100,000 people still playing this and they're obsessed with it. And it's like the only game they play. And there's amazing things going on in each of these little communities. And maybe the only way that I will be able to appreciate each of those communities is by, an, by being an outside observer. And maybe that's okay. No, it's, it's definitely interesting people are kind of more like singularly game focused than maybe they used to be. You know, it used to be Sega or Nintendo. Now it's, you know, League of Legends or Counter-Strike Go. And these games have these just massive followings and they are so complicated. They they if you really want to play them and even if you want to follow them pretty well, they they require a pretty big time commitment just to learn about them. Yeah. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's super cool because I think the things we see come out of these games from a skill perspective are more exciting than anything we've seen. Uh, since this, you know, this kind of esports scene has really caught on. Yeah, uh, Christian, tell me about Gears of Four. Gears of Four, I, I like <laughs> to call it. Uh, yeah, I have been playing the Gears of War Four beta. It is, you know, was I guess this past weekend, and so starting out precursor, I almost feel like it, it was a disservice that Gears of War Ultimate Edition, or whatever they called their remastered edition, I think that game looked beautiful. They showed some before and afters of like how much work they put into really polishing the look of the environment and making what were just kind of squares before, you know, have some texture to them or crumble or, you know, really feel like new geometry, even though the underlying polygons were the same. And and to some extent, that remaster suffered from the problem I think a lot of these games of yours suffer from was that the first time I played Gears of War 1 on Xbox 360, I was like, this is the most beautiful game I've ever played in my life. This is fantastic. So when I put in Remastered, I was like, this looks like how Gears of War 1 always looked. Beautiful. You forget that it looked like garbage now, right? (laughs) (laughs) So if you look at some of these comparisons, you see the work they put in. I say all of that because I fired up the Gears of War for multiplayer beta and was like well this looks like gears of war one but it doesn't it looks like gears of war one remastered and it's like this weird chess game in your head where you're it's so easy to be not impressed graphically by something that is pretty dang impressive like as you sit there and look at the character models there's a lot going on there are the i mean they've always been these big characters taking up you know when you're running roadie running or whatever they call it you know it feels like a third of the screen is that hunkered down you know close to your back camera and there's some really cool stuff going on for me where this the uh, i mean it's like a two map beta feels graphically limited is in the environment the environments are very square 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 uh concrete square to hide behind concrete square to hide behind whereas other games i think even halo 5 you know you get into these kill boxes 
but it, it feels more intricate. I'm sure if you zoom out and you look at the level map from a design standpoint, it's very much the same, right? You have these choke points, this open point, a flank point, and whatever it is. But my time in these maps felt very, it almost felt like I was playing the um, super hot. I mean, obviously not, but you know what I mean? It felt like I could see the grid to some extent where it's <laughs> like, move here, move here, cover here, move here. This is the open point. This is our flank point. Here we go. That said, the multiplayer felt fine, right? I mean, it, it didn't feel perfectly polished. There were a couple of times where, like, uh, the graphics didn't load, and I don't know what was happening if that server end. Like, I, I was in the game, but I, I could not see myself, but I was running around and other people could see me because I got killed somehow. Um, but I, I hope that this is a true beta in the sense that the game's, what, October 10th, something like that? a ways away but it instantly felt like gears and gears multiplayer the maps felt a little smaller than i remember them being in gears 3 but i think there's a lot to like i think it's this weird thing where we are down on it because it's so familiar but yet i don't know how much they could change without us being that's not gears like the running in gears i always think is so interesting because it's such a risk reward move like when you run you lose so much of your control. Like you can turn, but not really. Like you're not going around a corner while you run, you know? And it feels almost antiquated now because Halo has introduced a run and an air dash and all this other stuff where you have such specific control or Titanfall or Call of Duty where you're wall running and it's like, you know, your Twitch controls are so on the forefront for how you play this game. And Gears of War is like, nah, dude, you're a big hulking dude. You can run to this cover and you can chainsaw this dude and then you can lob a grenade. And lobbing that grenade, it takes like two seconds to swing it and lob it. Uh, so it's weird where part of me is like, this feels like Gears. This is great. And then part of me is thinking, well, yeah, but how could we advance this formula? So the jury's out, but I felt very satisfied with what I played. That said, I played maybe 90 minutes of it and felt like, cool, yeah. <laughs> let's get back to something else. Um, lots more to talk about. Uh, so much more. I'm going to tell you about my Vive experience. Uh, Mike and I both played Mirror's Edge beta. Uh, but I want to tell you first about a new sponsor. And this is a sponsor called Parachute. And I got to tell you, I'm going to be real honest with you. Uh, you know, they, they sell uh, sheets and uh, comforters and stuff for your bed and towels and, and stuff like that, linens. And uh, a part of the ideal of someone sponsoring the show is that, you know, we try out their product. And so they sent us some sheets uh, and I got these, um, the ones I specifically got were the Venice Satine sheet set. And I put them on our bed last week and we've been sleeping on them all week. And I'm not joking and I'm not shilling here. They are the most comfortable sheets I've ever had in my life. It feels like I went to one of those really nice hotels where you're like, oh, my God, how do they do this? How do they have a bed that's so comfortable? <laughs> These sheets are amazing. My wife woke up the other day, and she rolled over to me, and she goes, uh, honey, where did you get these sheets? And I was like, uh, you know, they're sponsoring the show. She's like, send me the email address. I want to order some for the guest room. We have a guest bed. And, and I was like, I just won the everything. I won the wife lottery because I, fi- I did something. Like, this is not an area in which I tend to excel. My wife is the one who gets the awesome, cool, comfortable, nice things that you want to share with guests. I'm the guy that, like, oh, I can fix your computer. So when I, like, 
hit a home run with the comfortable sheets category, I was feeling on top of the world. This is the most amazing thing ever. So I got to tell you guys about this. This is Parachute.com. Excuse me. uh, Where is it? Parachute. Well, they got the blog at blog.parachutehome.com. So it's parachutehome.com. So P-A-R-A-C-H-U-T-E-H-O-M-E.com. Parachutehome.com slash DLC is where you want to go. And they do have this really cool blog there that I was reading that like gives you uh, you know ideas about how to care for things, or it's even got like fun um, you know ways to improve your mornings and uh, all kinds of really cool just sort of life and wellness uh, information there, uh, which is actually pretty pretty awesome. They got free shipping, free returns, and a thirty night risk free guarantee. So if you don't like these sheets, you got thirty nights to decide if you want to return it. They give you free returns. And the best thing about this company is they partner with the United Nations Nothing But Nets uh, program to send life-saving bed nets all around the world to fight against malaria. So basically, you are, you're, you're sleeping awesome, and you can even sleep more soundly because you know this is a company that actually does something good for the world. It, it, it comes in an awesome package. You get it. And I'm telling you, I won the wife lottery with this. Better yet, we're going to give you 25%, uh, excuse me, $25 off your order. All you got to do is go to parachutehome.com slash DLC and then use the promo code DLC. I think you guys should try these. Honestly, I'm not blowing smoke. These were the most comfortable sheets I've ever had outside of like a very expensive hotel. Uh, it is, it's amazing. It's amazing. So the ones I got again were the Venice Satin Sheets. Uh, and we got them in white because uh, we wanted to feel like we're at a hotel. And uh, yeah, they're amazing. So uh, I highly recommend this. Parachutehome.com slash DLC. And use the promo code DLC. You get yourself $25 off, which is really, really cool. And then it lets them know that you're listening to the show as well, which we appreciate. All right, guys. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Mirror's Edge beta. Mike, uh, you and I have both played that. Um, I am super impressed with it. Uh, a lot of it was similar to what I'd already played at E3 last year, but what was not in the E3 build was this new combat system, which I think completely capitalizes on what you want out of a Mirror's Edge game and, and corrects what was wrong with the first Mirror's Edge game, which is that the, the, the combat almost feels like a minigame now, and it almost feels like something that sort of adds to your kineticism, adds to your speed and your movement rather than stopping and shooting people or you know, getting to firefights, uh, which is not what you want out of that game. Uh, what would, you, would you agree with that? Yeah, what I like about the combat is that it, it feels unique, at, at least, you know, in my experience, I haven't really seen anything like this. It really is largely positional. It's it's um, kind of about these quick sort of hops left, right, back and forth, but when you're attacking your enemy, a lot of it is making sure you hit them in the direction of something. So either a wall, uh, you know, down a cliff, or preferably against another person, and that'll do more damage. And then, besides that, it is kind of like the old Mirror's Edge where, you know, jumping off a wall and kicking somebody is going to do the most damage or you're slide kicking stuff like that. But yeah, just not having any of that gun combat at all is very nice. And the game is gorgeous. The way that oh, they yeah. have made all of the movement make sense in your head, like, you know, bumper is up, trigger is down, and you basically can traverse the entire environment with those two concepts in your head. And you, you feel awesome through this whole game. You feel awesome. Uh, it's just it's just very exciting because I loved the original Mirror's Edge. It was one of my favorite games 
from the last generation, and I really just didn't think we would get another one of these. And to see them not only doing one, but, you know, it seems like they're going all out on this. I was just so happy to see things like actual cutscenes instead of those kind of, you know, flash-based 2D things they did in the original Mirror's Edge. The only thing I didn't like was the runner's vision, you know, where the things are highlighted red that you're, you know, supposed to go on. By default, it had this sort of red stream trail thing that, like, really showed you exactly where you were supposed to go. But then I went in the options, and you can turn that off anyway, so that even wasn't really a big problem. Yeah, I, I am so hyped for this game. It got a little bit of a delay to June 7th, but uh, it, it feels like they really learned a lot from the first game and are making the game that we all wished that first game was. I certainly did. I wanted it to be more uh, open and, and free and, and have, have less to do with guns. And, you know, it was a heavily flawed game, but it had so much potential. And I feel like, based on what I played in this beta, they are capitalizing on that and, and kind of finally realizing that potential. I, I'm excited very much to play the full game. See, I, I didn't really have that problem with the first game. I was fine with it being kind of linear and being about these set paths. But at the same time, I appreciate that they're going to do something different with the new game. That it, it doesn't necessarily suppl- you know, supplant the last game. That's still always going to be there. And you know, it's always going to be on Steam for probably $2. And people can still play that. And it'll be a different experience than what Catalyst will be. Yeah, uh, I just, I mean, I'm, I'm so hyped for this one. This is the top of my, yeah. top of my anticipation. I'm high on it. Yeah. Uh, Christian, you have been playing some more stuff too, right? Yeah, quickly, I will just mention that I took um, remote play for a spin on my Mac. I had not done that, and I know some people have been saying it does not work well for them. I never had the best experience with remote play on my Vita. I even had a PSTV for a while, and it it wasn't as good as some people's. I was in um, San Diego this past week and weekend for shows, incredible shows, and thank you to listeners that came out and said hi. They were what anyway incredible shows um but i was sitting there and i was like you know what i brought this stuff with me my ps4 at home is wired and has i have a good internet here and then there i was just staying in the comedy club's condo where they put you up when you're you know traveling for the weekend and i was like let's try this thing for a little bit fired up the division played an hour and a half the division it was beautiful like was it 1080p probably not (laughs) you know uh but was my playing limited in any way shape or form like did i feel hampered in my going through and knocking off some side missions and some uh, events and stuff like that. No, it was fun. Play for an hour and a half. Maybe try it if you've heard horror stories and maybe see if it works for you. It worked. It worked really well for me. And then I need to, uh, this is week three of our continued debate coverage <laughs> of Quantum Break. Listener Peter hooked me up with the PC code. I know the PC version maybe isn't as optimized as it could be. I am through the first act of Quantum Break, I I'm not on Team Jeff on this Wait, one. Wait, so I I'm sure first act you got through and Go you ahead. made the you made your first big decision and you watched your yes. first episode. Yes, okay. yes. So I played through the first act, made my first decision, watched the first live action trailer. Um, do I anticipate this story kind of going off the rails and not being anything great? Yeah, of course. No, I'm not like hooked on this story but then again i'm not hooked on the story of the division either i'm not like let's find out what did happen um but it's weird because i heard you guys and i know blake uh was it last week you know saying hey this isn't a cover-based shooter and i wholeheartedly agree i think after i got my my time powers i i was never in cover i felt like i was playing this like uh infamous where i was just running time bomb bullet shield slow-mo into max pain 
shoot, 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 switch guns because I don't want to bother with reloading this one. By the time I need to reload, I throw another time bomb up. And my only complaint of the first act is that there wasn't enough playing. <laughs> it was very... Uh, there was a lot of cutscene and getting you going. It's like, that but I mean, throughout. if I just get, <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah, you know, that's that's a that's unfortunate. But if I get to do more of that, I'll I'll be satisfied. Then again, I did not pay for this game, so I can't say if I spent sixty bucks, I'd feel like this was money well spent. But it looks beautiful. Um, like the the effects that they pull off, you know, like the art direction design for what they're doing for the time effects. It's really cool. I don't know. I, I agree. I think that if you get I agree with that, dude. I, I was saying that the, the shooting was the best part of the game by far. It was. It, it just feels like it doesn't belong in this game. But I think that the the time powers and all that stuff was executed really, really strongly. It, it's the fact that I'm doing that so rarely, and when I do, it it feels jarring compared to the narrative that they're trying to tell. And I thought the narrative was interesting and fun. Like I said, I'm a sucker for time travel stories, but there's a lot of, I don't remember specifically what's in the first act and what isn't, but there's a lot of like bad puzzle stuff and just kind of boring, obvious puzzle stuff. Uh, have you done any of that? Yeah, there's some of that. There's some of that in the first act and I'm, I don't know. I'm fine with that. To me, this is, um, Saturday morning cartoon video game, right? Like I'm not, again, this isn't journey. This isn't what the last of us was for me. This isn't even, you know, what I was hoping to get out of Halo 2, where it's like, let's, oh, let's do this. It's, I'm going to run around, slow down time. And I feel like the shooting fits in this world. I know you had a complaint that the guy was a student, and Blake mentioned they tried to give him, he thought they tried to give him a uh, Tomb Raider moment, like after you kill the first guy, yeah. where you're like, well, I can't. I don't think they do that. What happens, spoilers, you, you shoot your first guy, and whoever you're with, your brother, whoever that person is, is like, uh, whoa, what just, and he's like, ah, uh, but they don't they're not upset with the killing. They're freaking out because that's the first time he uses his time powers. Right. They're like, I don't know what that was. And he says it's a throwaway line of dialogue. I've used I know my way around a gun. I've been in some stuff before. I've never had I've murdered so many people in. before. <laughs> but I get the feeling that your guy's kind of a jerk. Like he's maybe killed some dudes. Should he be able to kill these thousands of people? No. Should Joel and The Last of Us? No. Should Nathan Drake and Uncharted? No. Should Laura and Tomb Raider? No. Should Master Chief and Halo? No. Also, no. Wait, what? I don't care if you're the mono man. <laughs> the answer is always no. Well, do I have fun running around doing it? Uh, yes. I agree with Global Reset in the chat here. He says, my main problem with the gameplay is that with the time pl- powers, you're a god. It's weird killing all these security guards when I could have just strolled past them without a problem. Uh, I agree with that. I feel like it would have been a more fun but game. But you in can't the same necessarily. Way. What? You can't. I'm not far enough in the in in the game, but I feel like you can't just stroll past them because they're going after your girl or your brother, or they're surrounded your car, and you can't. You, your time powers. You can't stroll past. Again, I'm only so through the, the first. Only act. option you is can't to do, murder all of them. I. It's it's never the only option, but you can't. You can't. We couldn't have given Rise of Tomb Raider our game of the year last year. If this is your biggest complaint. No, I know. And I understand. Because you, there you're sneaking through the grass. I, and you could sneak through the, the grass in that whole game. But you can't because it's like, hey, I, you've got a bow and arrow and you can auto lock on these three dudes' heads. I understand. Get I understand video games be video games. I get that. And I honestly don't have a problem most of the time. It, it, it's, it's varying degrees, right? And I feel like this game is so far on the side of – Real looking, real feeling, grounded narrative, feel like this could have happened in the real world. 
when it's doing all of that, I feel like it, it highlights that problem more. And to me, that this game is like when we're popping back and forth between real human actors and we're, you know, we're in, it's just, I don't know. I get it. And then, so lastly, for my, my buttons on this, I think my biggest problem with the live action stuff is they were almost tr- too true to the uniforms, like the mercenaries that works as a video game character. But when you see that guy in that exact same costume that clearly has never been worn before, like production made it. And then they're like, Brad, suit up. And Brad's like, this, this has iron stains on it. <laughs> like this stuff looks too new and too like has video game shine on it still. Yeah. That's where it loses its immersion. And then my last takeaway is uh, I'm on the side of I'm on team play. I don't know. I can't say spend $60 on this. There are other big games around the corner, but if your buddy has it, you can borrow it. You find it in a red box or, you know, whatever. I think the game is wholly worth playing again from one act through. And uh, I don't know. I'm excited by it. I'm glad I, I'm, I want people to like it. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, so we're, you know, as always, we're running short on time, but I want to talk about my Vive experience. Are you guys ready for this? Yes. Are you guys ready for yes. this? Because it arrived. Uh, the Vive arrived this week for me. Uh, and here's what happened. And feel free to jump in at any time if you have any questions. Um, I got all excited, unboxed it. It's so cool, like the way it's shipped and everything. And And they do a really smart job of directing you to the app, you know, on your computer right away to get you to step through this installation process, which is not insignificant, right? You got to mount these monitor things, you know, the the little pods that track your movement. You got to mount them in your room and you got to figure it out. And as I'd said, you know, ever since I heard that my Vive was actually shipping, I'd been rearranging my little office here. Christian, you've seen it. Um, I was trying to figure out exactly where I was going to do it, my play space, all this stuff. I figured it all out. Got all excited, mounted my, you know, mounted my trackers, did the whole thing, stepped through the process, got it going. It does a really cool thing where you, you then take one of the controllers and you walk around your room holding the, holding the trigger down and give it a map of the play space that you've got. You know, you kind of just track the, the perimeter of your room so it knows how big of an area you can stand in. And then it, it makes de- decisions based on that. Well, here's what I didn't realize. What the games require, each game requires from the Vive, is a basically rectangular, not basically, a exactly, rectangular play space. So the games will adapt on the fly to what the rectangle of your play space is, but it's got to be a rectangle. It has to be a definable rectangular shape. So if the room you're in has any odd corners or angles or anything or something jutting out from one side or something like that, it's going to just shrink the rectangle. It's not going to create an oblong polygonal space for you. It's just going to shrink the rectangle in which you can play because all it will accept is a rectangle, which makes sense, but in practice means your room is going to need to be pretty big and pretty absent of a lot of things. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I think we all know that intuitively, right? You, you, if you're going to play it in the living room, you got to move the stuff to the sides of the wall. I'm not playing in my living room. I, I'm not going to have my gaming PC in my living room. I'm going to have it in my office, and my office has a lot of junk in it. It's got board games and bookshelves and things sticking out all over the place. And so, never call your board games junk again, Jeff. I know. 
I, I feel bad. You're not going to like where this story goes. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. no. So uh, when I first set things up and got things going, I realized that the games were entirely playable. But because the chaperone system, if you're not familiar with the Vive, it has a front-facing camera. And it's got this defined play area space. And since it's room scale and you're moving around and moving your arms and stuff, it doesn't want you to smack into things. So it will in order to protect you, use this chaperone system, which shows you a blue grid of the, of the walls around you anytime you get close to them. Well, unfortunately for me, my original setup, I was always close to them. I had plenty of room to stand up and move around, but the game was worried about me almost all the time. So every time I was playing anything, that blue grid was constant. So it completely ruined the immersion of of uh, VR because there's this like faint blue box everywhere saying, watch out for the wall, bro. And I was heartbroken. I was crushed because it, it basically ruined the games. And for a whole day, I was sitting around going, oh, no, what have I done? What, what can I do? My wife, to her infinite credit, was like, well, maybe we could, you know, instead of the baby's room being over there, we could make that your office and you could bring the baby into your other. And we were like, oh yeah, my God. I know, right? She's the I best. I know her Jeez. and she is the best, but she's the she's best. She's the best. She's the best. So after much discussion, I mean, we stood up, stay up one night really late, like the night I got it, we stayed up really late and like walked around the apartment. We're like, where, you know, where can we, where can I go to have my VR room? <laughs> And go to realtor.com. Yeah. Okay. No, what are we I looking know, for? Dude, I was <laughs> like, I need to, I need to, I need to move. How do we, we need to move. Uh, so what ended up happening was I went, no, honey. I mean, I, I love you, but I can't possibly put our child's room lower priority than my, you know, VR room, even though I want to. Um, so <laughs> what I ended up doing is complete. I spent an entire day. I spent last Friday, completely reorganizing my office. I got rid of an entire bookshelf worth of things. I got rid of like two dozen board games. I got rid of an entire bookshelf and bookshelf worth of objects, moved everything around, pushed it all to the sides of the walls, changed where my desk (laughs) is, reoriented everything, got rid of, I did two, uh, excuse me, three trips to Goodwill getting rid of stuff. Was this a pack-in game, or did you have to buy it separately? Yeah, right. Mo- mo- move yourself. Uh, the the game. Oh, it's an unpacked game, is what yeah. it is. <laughs> and once I did that, and I literally just bought myself like two more feet because I had enough room in one direction. Like it was a really long rectangle, but it was a narrow rectangle, right? So I had to push it out and get myself more <laughs> of a perfect square. Now that I've done that. It's all good, baby. It's all good. Now I, I just call my office the volume now. So you got to come over to the volume because you'll be shocked, Christian, when you walk in because you've seen my office. It's, it's like 90% empty space now. And there's, never has there been a, more, a bigger incentive to keep my room clean than VR. Um, so that was a very long story uh, way of explaining that. I got things up and running, and it's, it's amazing again. But there, I was touch and go for a while. And I think... When you hear, you know, you're going to need room, you're going to need space, you don't understand the extent to which you need it. And that's something that was never (laughs) conveyed, you know, because every kind of convention or event that I went to that had this, they always have tons of space to to play around in. And 
I'm not going to put this in the living room. Like it's not going to happen in the living room. It, it, you need a actual space to move around it for the vibe. Now the Oculus is a different story, right? If you're not going to get the touch controllers, you can sit at your computer and no, no, no problem. But okay. So, so there's that. Uh, and now the games, right? Uh, first thing I will say is for me, the killer app is a game called call of the star seed. This is the most, like, big-time game game. There's a lot of really awesome games. The Lab that comes for free with the Vive, which is Valve's, like, collection of minigames that are all sort of built around um, um, Portal, the Portal aesthetic. They're all awesome, and I've talked about them before on the show. They're they're phenomenal. But they're all minigames, you know? And they show potential, and they show, like, you know, what, what we can expect in the future. But the game that is, like, the most full-featured, like, narrative big adventure game is call of the star seed the gallery episode one uh and this game is what i wanted out of vr it's it's an adventure game where you are wandering around you start on this beach location and you have it's sort of this 90s aesthetic where you've got this cassette player and you find these cassette tapes and you load the cassette tapes into the cassette player and you're listening to your sister who had this adventure on and you're kind of retracing her steps and trying to figure out what happened. So there's puzzles and you're, you know, investigating things, but it sounds very, you know, normal for a video game. But what makes it special is that you're really there in that place. And when what you do is you reach behind you and you pull out your backpack physically and your backpack opens and you can look in it. And then you, you know, you grab the, cassette tape player out of your backpack with one hand, you grab a a tape with the other hand and you physically put the tape in the cassette tape player. You're doing it all physically. You're physically manipulating your environment. And then when you are dealing with uh, the puzzles, the puzzles in the game are all physical manipulation stuff. And you're, you're touching things and moving things and looking around. You have a flashlight that you get very early on and you hold the flashlight in your hand and you turn the flashlight on and you, you know, wave it around with your actual hand and where you aim it is where you see light. And so you can like get down on your knees and look under things and around things. And sometimes stuff is behind other stuff that you have to grab and you're physically manipulating objects to, you know, put the key in the keyhole or fix the puzzle that needs to be physically created. It's amazing. The the second part of the game you're like going through this sewer and you're you're using your flashlight and you're wandering around the sewer and you're inside this closed ca- uh, claustrophobic environment the feeling of being there really transforms it and it becomes amazing there's one part where a guy is throwing stuff to you from across this chasm and you have to catch it or it'll break and he's and he keeps tossing them at you and so you're literally catching something from a guy that's not real it's unbelievable it's so cool so there's that game uh and then audio shield i think is the other one that i want to talk about because i hadn't played that before uh this is a game that crashes a lot so take that with a grain of salt but you can always sort of restart it and it'll work so it's not stable which is definitely a ding against it but this is a rhythm game and christian i can't wait to come over and play this Uh, i have video of my wife playing it my very pregnant wife is playing this game and giggling like a school kid because everybody giggles when they play this game it's a rhythm game uh with music and you're standing in this massive cathedral hall or whatever and you've got these your each of your hands has this gauntlet on it this sort of energy gauntlet looks like something out of halo 
and one is colored orange and the other is colored blue and you're standing there with these two massive shields of of energy on each hand and then to the rhythm of the music balls of light come cascading towards you from the distance and some of the balls of light are blue and some of them are orange and some of them are purple but I'll get to that in a second but you block the blue ones with your blue shield on one hand and you block the orange ones with the orange shield on your other hand and so you're literally like striking out your hand in front of you to block these energy beams as they come to the rhythm. So it's like you're punching the music as it's coming at you. But it doesn't just come at you from the front. It comes at you from above, from the side. It'll come sort of at, a, at an angle and kind of uh, at a curve. And the, the controller will vibrate slightly when you, hit, when you get hit with it. So it's just this kinetic feeling. And even better than that, when the balls do hit your shield, they kind of explode in a, in a cascade of sparks. It's happening all around you. It's coming at you fast and furious based on the music. It's like rock band on psychedelics. It's, it is absolutely incredible. And you work up a sweat. I mean, it is, it's a workout routine. So, so fun. All I know is that if they don't have punch the music as like their official marketing slogan now, they're doing something right? wrong. Right? That like just immediately makes me like yeah, I want to punch some music. I, Christian, I can't wait till you come over. You have to come over. I know you were gone all weekend, so we didn't make that happen. But this week you got to come over and we got to play everything. Yeah, I'm. Yes, of course. Punch the music, guys. It's uh, guys. It's just amazing. Guys, we can punch the music. We don't have to forget dancing. Dancing's gone. Yeah. We're punching it now. I played a bunch of other games. I'll get. To, I'll talk about those in the next few weeks. But uh, I just wanted to give you the first few feelings about the vibe, and it, it really did. After that first little bit of disappointment, it did live up uh, to my expectations, and I'm I'm having a great time. It, it, it's yeah, it's awesome. Okay, um, let's. Uh, we kind of already talked about one of the questions this week. We're going to skip the other one and uh, make a little bit because we got a long show and we got. Cliffy B at the end. Uh, so let's uh, let's get to tabletop time, shall we? Tabletop time, tabletop time. Right now, right now. All right, tabletop time. Um, I have. <laughs> well, let's start with with what you guys have been playing because I know you guys have been playing some some tabletop time. And and you know this Saturday is International Tabletop Day, so I hope a lot of people are going to be playing. Some uh, board games and card games. Um, you know, kudos to to the folks at uh, Geek and Sundry for making Tabletop Day into this annual event that's big, and people are sort of buying into the whole notion of it. So I hope people use this opportunity this week to play some some board games. Mike, you've been playing something. What did, what have you been playing on the on the table? Yeah, so you know, I'm not actually that much of a tabletop kind of gamer, but. Uh... My uh, my brother AJ, who by the way, big fan, uh, great see, guy. He, uh, he he's like, oh, he, he's like, you gotta get something ready for for to talk about the board games. I'm like, oh god, but he he had some games, so we actually played uh, Forbidden Island yesterday, just so I could talk about it a little bit. I love that and, game. Uh, I don't know if this is something. Uh, it, oh yeah, okay, good. You two have played it, so yeah, it's like a co-op sort of adventure card and tile game where the goal is to capture these four treasures on this island but like the catch is that the island is flooding and you kind of have to keep as much of the island afloat as you can so you have enough time to get the treasure and then eventually helicopter out of there and it was yeah yeah it was just it was you know 
as somebody who doesn't play a lot of these games, I kind of forget, oh, yeah, these could be co-op experiences. It doesn't have to be, a, you know, a competitive thing. So it was, it was kind of fun just to sort of figure it out and, like, you know, instead of, like, kind of keeping to yourself and trying to, you know, work, you know, silently with your strategies, it was nice to communicate with a friend, work together, figure out how you were going to do this. So, yeah, it was, it was a very fun way to spend us. Did you get – were you guys successful? Did you get off the island successfully? It's a tough game. Yes. I, I, yeah, our second try. You know, because the first time you're playing it, you don't quite understand how important it is to keep as many tiles afloat as possible – because you're because you're, you're thinking at first is like well I don't really need that tile can go down but once one tile goes down then you know the way tiles go down is that you're you're taking cards out of a deck and it says oh this land's going down this land's right. going down and once a land is out of there then it's more likely that you're gonna get those doubles and that things are gonna just kind of go to hell. So you want to keep as many things afloat as possible. Yeah, Forbidden Island is fantastic. There was also a sort of pseudo sequel called Forbidden Desert. Which I think even refines the the idea further. It's one of the first games I gave my nephews as well. It, it plays it's, as a co op and as a game that really is very straightforward and easy to easy to grasp. I think it, it plays for a whole wide range of ages. It's something that adults will definitely enjoy, but uh, you can play it with pretty young kids as well. I, I, it's a great game, both of them. Um, yeah, awesome. So again, that's called uh, Forbidden Island, and uh, you can find that actually at a lot of mainstream. Uh, retailers, you can probably find it at Toys R Us and Target and stuff too, because it kind of crossed over into that mainstream place, which is really awesome to see. Uh, speaking of young people playing games, Christian, you are our hero for uh, so many people. I can't even tell you how many emails we get for people who are like Christian and his young kid game recommendations are killing it. Yeah, for as many people as say they have kids and listen to this show, it's really disappointing when I look at my Department of Parenting podcast numbers. And um, <laughs> well, they have kids; and they don't, don't want to hear about kids. <laughs> What's here? It's about how do you raise that, that show is now just about kid board. So I've had some hits, you guys: Sneaky Snacky Squirrel, n- Yep, Zingo, All Day Every Day, um, I Spy Preschool Game, Pass, oh, no. Total Pass. Don't get one in. Because it's the art from the popular I Spy books. Don't think that's enough. It's an I Spy game that has like art and then like the puzzle pieces kind of interlock to show that you have a match. I mean, it's fine, but like if you're playing Zingo and you can maybe order this game, don't. I mean, it's fine. There's nothing great about it. Um, I think it's like, you know, four stars on uh, Board Game Geek right now, but that's only because there's one review. You can't be suckered in by everything you read on the internet. I Spy Preschool Game. It is my first DLC tabletop toddler game pass. Well, take that, I Spy. Um, <laughs> we got a really cool email I want to read. It's a little long, but I think uh, I think it's worth it. This is from Scott K. Uh, he said, Hi, Jeff and Christian. I just wanted to thanks for the great show. It's one of the casts in my weekly rotation that I really look forward to. I'm a commute listener on my way to work in the mornings. Christian, I'm a father of a three-and-a-half-year-old girl, So a lot of your musings about kids' stuff brings a knowing smile to my face. I have to give you props for busting out Sneaky Snacky Squirrel for tabletop time. We have a selection of games for evening pre-bed wind-down where we put on some music and play a game or two to unwind before starting the bedtime process. Sneaky Snacky Squirrel is one of the staples for us, so I totally laughed when you brought it up. Jeff, on a different note, but still tabletop time related, I don't get a ton of free time. I have a sweet PC, and usually when my daughter crashes on time and my wife is working, I sit down and enjoy some video games. However, this last time I sat down on my PC and just didn't feel like playing anything. 
Ugh, a free night, and I didn't want to play anything. I sat there and gave my swivel chair a couple of spins, and my eyes settled on something. The X-Wing Miniatures box set, sitting on my game shelf. I got it for Christmas and played it once with my brother-in-law, and I love tabletop games. But like many, I don't have a group or circle of friends who have the time or desire to play. I stared at it, and then I decided, I'm totally going to play that myself. So I got it out, set up a scenario, and played both sides and put Star Wars on in the background. It was awesome. I felt like a kid playing with my army men or G.I. Joes. I already imagined how the battle was supposed to go and who was going to win. I was just the storyteller. I found that keeping myself confined to the rules of the game allowed something cool to happen. Fate. The rolls of the dice. I could script any engagement I wanted, and then I would see how it played out, because sometimes fate, or... It could have been the Force. Changed the plan. I had a great time. I watched Star Wars, played with Star Wars figures in a grown-up way, and killed three cold IPAs. My wife came downstairs to grab something. Music stops. Records scratch. She looks at my game setup and over to my television. Okay, now I see what happens when you are left unsupervised. Have fun. She goes back to her office. Music starts and dice dice roll. It was a good night. I'm totally getting more miniatures. Thanks for the great show. Take care, guys. That was from Scott K. I thought that story was just awesome. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of games, actually, that offer solo play. Uh, And it's really a vibrant part of board gaming. A lot of games actually have alternate rule sets for solo play. uh, And even really intense... Uh, big games like Caverna and Agricola, some of my favorites, they have these solo play variants. If you go over to BoardGameGeek.com, you can find a whole list of games that have uh, solo play variants. So even if you don't have games uh, or you know, friends to play with uh, every time, you can still uh, enjoy these games, which is really cool. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Like I said... We have a Cliffy B interview coming up, which I think you not want to miss. And also, we have our parting gift. But Mike Minotti, i got to thank you for being here. This has been so much fun. Oh, no, thank you, guys. I, I had a great time. It's, uh, it's really an honor to be here. Just like, you know, all those award people and stuff. This is like my <laughs> Well, I appreciate you uh, dressing in your tuxedo and, and being here. Um, oh, yeah. No, no, I'm also just in my underwear. I, I really also like the fact that you, uh, you had your dog be your plus one. Which is, uh... <laughs> yeah, right. Oh yeah, she's 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 just lovely. Where can so quiet? Where can too. people find out about uh, about what you do? Well, I'm a writer for GamesBeat, so you can just go to GamesBeat.com, and that's where I do all my gaming journalism stuff with all my reviews and the news and the I am, you know, all that fun bits. I also do uh, my own podcast with my brother AJ. Uh, it's called the Exploding Barrel Podcast. We're on iTunes and everything. You can go to ebpodcast.com. To find more of that. And if you want to follow me on uh, Twitter, I am at Tolkoto. At Tolkoto. Awesome. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Well, if you're joining us live, you know. But um, with my new PC has come uh, actual streaming. I'm, uh, this is my Twitch channel if you're live. It's twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer if you're listening to the podcast. Hello. 
Welcome. Thank you for downloading this audiobook. <laughs> um, I am uh, currently going through the Uncharted games to see if I can get through them before four comes out. Spoiler alert: I don't. I don't think I'm gonna. <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna finish them, but I am replaying them uh, on my Twitch channel and I'm trying to get you know three to four days uh, of streaming each weekend. Right now it's Mondays. What am I doing? Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. And then trying to find a weekend day when I am in town, but that is twitch.tv slash christian spicer and then i am proud to announce that i have launched my own subscription service if you miss it at the beginning you can subscribe to my subscription service at patreon.com slash christian spicer and unlike loot crate i will not clutter up your home with junk and trinkets you don't need unlike blue apron i will not make you need to try new foods that you might not otherwise be interested in and i will not recommend new shows for you to watch in fact I won't even tweet you a thank you note for subscribing. I will literally do nothing. If you want to subscribe, it's two ninety nine a month. Pretty good deal. It's ten cents a day. You know, let's make history, people. Jeff, what about you? I'm very impressed with that. That's what I am. Uh, I have lots of shows for you to uh, enjoy, including the Slash Filmcast, which is us talking about movies and TV. Uh, you're definitely going to want to listen to this week. If you haven't heard of the movie Green Room, you should definitely listen to our episode coming out this week because this is a movie you're not going to want to miss. Also, we're doing our summer movie rager, which I think, unless I'm completely off, I think might be the 10th annual, which is pretty exciting. Um, summer movie rager where we try to predict the uh, top 10 movies in order. So check that out at slashfilmcast.com. Also, over at CNET, I'm doing technology talk every weekday. Uh, with uh, Ashley Esqueda, a really fun show called Tomorrow Daily. You can find that at tomorrowdaily.com. And then if you want to laugh, why not try 20 minutes of your day for We Have Concerns. Uh, Anthony Carboni and I do a comedy show that I think you'll like. It's at wehaveconcerns.com. All right, guys, uh, let's get to our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a party. Mike, do you have a, uh, a suggestion to get people through their week? Yeah, I do. So I, th- I think um, maybe a lot of people have this problem where, you know, at, at night at, in bed, I usually play a game on my 3DS or, you know, maybe I'm watching something on my phone that is, is you know, like a, a speed run or, you know, something that's a bit too exciting. And then I don't even know how I stumbled on it, but I found the Bob Ross YouTube channel, you know, the, the painting yeah. guy. With the happy trees and stuff, yeah. And I'm just like, this is this is very soothing and relaxed. He's just so positive. Everything is happy. He tells you about what a you know. You, oh, this tree is beautiful, just like you, because we're we're all beautiful and we, it's 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 very nice. And then I actually got into painting through it. Uh, just been doing it for fun. My sister in law gave me the Bob Ross starter set for Christmas awesome. this year. But it's just right, and it, it's great because his uh, the official YouTube channel. Like right when I started doing it, they started uploading. Like, every episode from that show. They're, like, through season uh, 11 right now. So it's just hours and hours of calming, soothing entertainment. You don't have to be a painter to enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of what I do every night now to help me fall asleep. Not that it's boring that it helps me fall asleep, but, you know, it's just it's it's nice. It's calm. Between that and Bravely Second, you're just going to be uh, relaxed yeah, right? all the time. Oh, oh, trust me. I do a lot of Bravely Second grinding while watching my Bob Ross. <laughs> awesome. Christian, how about you? You got a parting yeah. gift? 
I do not. There was a thread on the Reddit saying, does anyone listen to these parting gifts and do they ever do or check out any of the stuff we recommend? And there wasn't a lot of comment or hype on the thread. People were like, no, no, well, maybe, maybe this comic, maybe this thing or whatever. So my parting gift is I am curious, dear listeners, and you can you know hit us up on Twitter or go over to Reddit and get that thread going. I would be curious what your parting gifts would be. What are things that are not games related that you think Jeff or I should maybe check out? I can't promise that I will, but I will do my best to check them out, especially if it's economical for me to do. I would love to know what you, our audience, are into outside of the gaming. So you can maybe head over to the Reddit uh, thread and get that going or tweet at me. And I will let you know as I check them off I, my list. I'm always excited to do I'd things like that. I'd love to like see that. that. I, I feel like Twitter is the, is the worst place it could be because that'll just go away and I won't remember to do it. But if it's on the subreddit, we can always refer back to it. So I think I would prefer it if you guys had suggestions like that. Do it in the subreddit because uh, then I can always refer back and when I have a free evening and go, oh, what was that thing that that listener suggested I check out? Um, so, yeah, awesome. Um so my parting gift, uh, I talked about it a little bit at the beginning. I, if you guys listen to the show and you've heard me give parting gifts in the past, uh, oftentimes I've recommended Prince albums, and that's because I am a massive fan. And uh, I honestly can say there is no artist, alive or dead, who has ever influenced my life more, who I've ever liked more, who has ever been more a part of who I am, uh, I got in, an incredible amount of people reaching out to me because they said, oh, you're the first person I thought of when I heard about Prince, uh, which I, you know, I took as a compliment, actually, because um, it, he meant, it meant a lot to me. And I, like I did, said, I spent uh, a lot of this week really emotionally affected, like more than I thought I should. Uh, I almost felt embarrassed at how affected uh, the stranger uh, passing away uh, was on me. And, and I, I, um, I really had a hard time with it. And, uh, I think that it's really beautiful. A lot of the outpouring of, um, emotion and uh, remembrance that has happened for Prince. A lot of people, some many things all around the world people are doing. And, uh, I know that the iTunes download charts, uh, immediately had Purple Rain and 1999 and, you know, a lot of his singles, uh, that we would know, uh, came back to the top of the charts, which I thought was pretty cool. But you know, th- there's more than those, just those two albums. And this guy put out, I think what, 39 albums, um, maybe more. And some of his later work is so good. And it makes me sad to think that a lot of people wouldn't, won't know it. Um, so my parting gift is maybe check out albums like the gold experience, uh, Raven to the joy, fantastic hit and run phase one and phase two, which are his most, two most recent albums. Um, Artificial Age, which is incredible. Uh, these are albums that came out relatively recently. Uh, the Crystal Ball triple album is amazing. Um, there are so many songs. I spent so much of the week listening to his music, and um, it occurred to me that a lot of the, his positivity and his sort of love and passion for life uh, infused me and is kind of became who I am. And... Uh, is responsible for a lot of that life outlook. And I found a song uh, that I think really encapsulates what I want the message of this show to be and uh, kind of the things that I say at the end of every episode. Uh, I didn't realize that I I got it from him, but I want to read you. We're actually going to play that song because um, 
it's my goddamn show, and I want to. <laughs> so we're going to play that song after the Cliffy B interview, so stick around for that. But I want to highlight the, the lyrics, uh, because I think it's an amazing song. It's from the Raven to the Joy Fantastic album. It's called Wherever You Go, Whatever You Do. And I won't read the whole thing, but here's the pertinent part at the end that I think uh, is relevant to this show. He says, uh, whatever you play, it's okay to lose, as long as you learn from every game you choose. If one thing's for sure, you'll always endure. If you try your best at everything you do, say what you mean and mean, <clears throat> excuse me, say what you mean and mean what you say. The price for a broken heart is too much to pay. And nothing is worth it if you don't have to try. The higher the stakes, the higher the sky. So, I'll leave you with that. We got the the uh, Cliffy B interview coming up next, which I think you'll enjoy. And then after that is the full song of "Wherever You Go, Whatever You Do," which I think is a is a beautiful sentiment. Thanks uh, to Mike Mignotti and uh, Christian Spicer. Thanks to all the people that hung out in the chat room. We really appreciate that, and uh, we will be back next week. Thank you all for downloading the show and sharing it with your friends. It's something that uh, being able to do this show is something very special. So thank you. And uh, have a good week. We'll see you next Monday. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. Yeah, I'm sitting here with uh, Cliff Blazinski. Um, so happy to have finally gotten hands-on with, uh, with Lawbreakers. I assure you I'm happier. <laughs> well, so this is Bosky's first game. You could have made anything you wanted now that you have your own studio here. What drew you to a multiplayer arena first-person shooter? Um, I mean, it's kind of in my DNA, you know, considering my prior experience with Unreal Tournament. You know, I obviously make shooty-shooty games. Um, <laughs> Ardan worked on Killzone for so long, and it was one of those things that, you know, I, strangely enough, turns out I'm not the only asshole to start a medium-sized studio that'll have a 5v5 type of shooter, because <laughs> there's a whole bunch of them right now. And uh, I'm hoping we can differentiate ourselves with our kind of slightly more mature vibe in the game as well as some of the crazy gravity stuff that you, is, is actually possible to do in the game. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things, like, with this type of game, you can really rapidly iterate. You know, we're like, they'll make a new class, you know, on Monday, and by Wednesday we're playing the playtest lab and giving feedback on it. And that's the thing, is like, you know, knock it out. You know, quick, 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 iterate, iterate, fail early, fail, fail often. And what we have here is a team of people, by and large, who have not worked together before. You know, a couple of them here and there have. But, you know, I worked with Ariane over 20 years ago. I don't know if we, we, we get along. And, uh, you know, to see this company be built in such a, a short period of time and have such a cool product, is, it's pretty impressive, and I'm pretty proud of the team. I, I got to say, just being here, the passion that everybody has for, for the game is pretty palpable. It's, it's really a cool thing to see firsthand. Well, we're at the point where, you know, if you can keep your studios small to medium size, which, you know, 55 is still pretty small for a game dev studio, um, you really get that vibe where it feels like family. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's a business. If someone you know, were to really mess up, they'd have to be disciplined, all that crap that comes <laughs> along with it. But for me, you know, we've only had a handful of people depart. And uh, I'm pretty unfathomable when I stand in front of my company and I say something on Fridays. But, you know, the time, the two times that I, I really had a hard time with it was when the, you know, two of the departures we had, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, it's one of those things, you know, people for whatever reasons, you know, one of my great artists, she wanted to move to Brooklyn because that was more of her scene, which is cool. Um, but, you know, I, I hate announcing that and I hate losing people. And But, you know, I, I love hiring them too. Yeah. So. Well, let's talk a little bit about the game. You, you mentioned the verticality of the, of the anti-gravity stuff. That's certainly the thing that struck me the most uh, playing it is how vertical you really need to be in order to be good at this game. And it certainly seems like a game that has a very high skill cap. It does, it does. I think um, 
One of the challenges we're going to have is making sure that matchmaking is proper in this game. I've alluded to it before, but, um, you know, when I play against, for example, Ned, Ned completely decimates me as Katsumi or Hellion, and uh, it's to the point where I don't even want to play with him. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I'm a, you know, I'm 41 years old. I'm a pretty mediocre shooter player, but, like, compared to him, I just get rolled. <laughs> it's just not fun. So that's the thing. It's like, you know, what our matchmaking is in this game and the, or how, we, how we kind of rank players is really, really freaking important. And, uh, but again, you know, we made this game on PC first and foremost to be used with the keyboard and the mouse. Yeah. And, you know, if we do our job right, which I think we are, you know, you hop into this character and you wear them like a second skin and you, suddenly before you know it, you know, you'll be floating over the map and just, you know, blind firing people and get, pulling off cool moves and trying all sorts of different, you know, powers and whatnot and uh, having a, hopefully a good time. So how do you do that? How do you get matchmaking right? Uh, sh- it's a science, man. Yeah. Like, I could write an entire dissertation on the fact also that when Gears of War 2 launched, um, Epic and, and myself at the time totally screwed up. And <laughs> that's basically, uh, you know, the game, we, matchmaking was broken in that game. So it's one of the things I assure you, the team's working on it. Mm-hmm. What the algorithm is, I can't tell you. You know, you basically want to take, you know, I'm mean, assuming it would be a combination of time played versus, like, kind of kill-death ratio versus how much of a team player they are versus how just how good they are overall and then kind yeah. of, you know, good luck sorting that out. Right, right. Um, so how far are, are you thinking that this the gravity stuff is going to go? The map we played had one central area where you become weightless, basically, and can move, move around in a complete vertical manner. Are you thinking of other maps where things will act differently, or is that sort of the central idea? There are. Yeah? That's all I can say right now. <laughs> okay. It's, uh... Let's just say I'm a fan of uh, Angry Birds Space. <laughs> okay, all right, I dig that. I like the I like the the subtle clue. Um, you know, we've uh, I've seen games like Titanfall and Evolve uh, come and go, and it seems like some of the lessons learned from those is is that multiplayer only can sometimes make the universe feel you uh, not as invested in, uh, and you seem to have a really cool story behind this world. I mean, I love the idea of these national monuments that have become, uh, you know, hubs for, for fighting. Is there any concern about not being able to tell a story there or have a narrative? Yeah, in regards to the narrative, um, that's what the environment is really, really useful for. Like, we have some of it in Grandview that you're playing today. Um, I'm really excited uh, in the coming months to show off the, the Santa Monica map because some of the environmental storytelling in that is great. Like, you know, just PA announcements, Bioshock style, and things like that. Um, so basically, when you have a multiplayer game like this, you have your lore that only only the hardcore will really read. Mm-hmm. Then you, some of that you can have in game, but you also want to have a lot of it outside of it. You have uh, in-game storytelling in regards to what the characters say, their barks and whatnot. Uh, you also have, you know, what what does that sign say in the walls? And it's some what is that billboard for? Some weapons company or some pharmaceutical company? As well as hopefully having a publishing partner that'll spend a lot of money to make either live action or CG characters. <laughs> hint, hint. Well, I mean that's the thing that uh, you know uh, Overwatch. Blizzard's so damn good at that. Yeah. You know? And like, yeah. like they Pixar. Pixar quality stuff. Sorry about the audio. Um, and so for me, it's, I like creating these worlds, but you know, getting into the player is really important. Titanfall and Evolve were great games. I just, I think there's more to it in regards to those games and their success level having being capped at the fact they shouldn't have been sixty dollars. Mm. You know? Well, I think that's you bring up a good point. Uh, I love the fact that you're saying right away that it's not going to be sixty dollars. Is there any concern that there's an association with AAA and that price point? I think we're really seeing this dawn of the kind of what I call the impulse buy, man. You know, where it's anywhere between like twenty to forty dollars in that type of range, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, the witness was thirty nine ninety nine and did extremely well for John Blow. Mm-hmm. So I think we're really it's there's some weird 
like mafia thing going on where for some reason new games that are on disc need to be $60 I don't know why that is yeah. and once in a while they'll be less but usually it's $60 day one and like you wonder why gamers buy them used or trade them in or rent them right. because you know as, as, as much as I love Titanfall and Evolve they're dollar for dollar not as large of a what's a good way of putting it title is like a Skyrim or a GTA or right. even Call of Duty with its actual campaign. Mm-hmm. The gamers can smell that a million miles away. So, you know, if we get around to doing console, you know, I'm curious to see how that's going to pan out in regards to pricing. Maybe we'll be digital only for the mid-range price. I don't know. It's, it's that kind of impulse buy is what we're going for. Is that one of the reasons that you're on PC is that you have more control over all aspects of it in that um, way? First and foremost, it just makes sense, you know. So we, you know, we put it on Steam. We can make the kind of game we want to make, you know, talking to Valve about some, you know, warm, fuzzy partnerships in that regard. Um, and then, you know, we'll see what happens with console. You know, we're, we're, we're talking... You know, there's, there's a lot to, to sort out with contracts and what, who gets what royalties and who's going to actually do the port if it happens. But I'll tell you, you know, this game is portable, like I said, to those systems. Um, however, good luck with the controls because we are so fast and vertical that it's going to be an interesting experience. And I'll tell you, I do not want to do crossplay. You don't want to do crossplay. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I don't see the PC people will just own everybody. Yeah, I don't see the benefit to it. Anymore. Yeah. Um, the, from the monetization standpoint, you're talking about cosmetic items as well. Do you have a sense of what that's going to look like? The game has such a, a you know, a signature style and look and feel, and it is much more kind of grounded in reality. Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely want, you know, if the game's 20 to 40 bucks or anything between, we, you know, and somebody wants to just spend that, they can still do it and have the full experience, but if they want to get, you know, the ultimate skin for Kitsune or whatever, um, you know, there will be a system of microtrans in there. However, it's one of those things, like, we, for the first time in my career, we have a problem of, you know, Where's the threshold of the default character being cool, right. but not too cool? Right. right? You know, like <laughs> right. If, if, you know, we, Dan and I got this, this. We get in these fights all the time where you know Hellion, um, the default one needed. It doesn't have pink hair in it. And then like I was like, can we put the pink hair in the default? Like, is that too cool? Yeah. Or are we saving that for something else? Like, right. how are we going to do this? And so this is the you know the new world order of character skins where you have to you know make a character that's cool but not too cool. Well, I think that a lot of the the draw to buying cosmetics too is is getting the silly item. Yeah. You know, and I think like a game like The Division where nothing is silly, you know, I kind of feel like, well, you're missing out on a little bit of fun there. Also, when it comes to cosmetics, it comes down to a fundamental IP level in regards to, um, you know, I never really cared cosmetically about what my Halo characters look like because it's like, oh, shoulder pad 46. Yeah. You know, this was the problem we had when we were doing custom kind of visual characters for Gears with the Locust. It's like you can have Locust, spiky shoulder pad two or three, whereas, right. you know, you get, you know, uh, you know, thrash ball cold skin yeah. or, you know, cowboy hat for somebody in the game, right? So for us, you know, having a character-based shooter, I think we could have some very interesting variants. Like, I want to see a version of Kitsumi that's, like, you know, completely wearing black, like, ninja style. Mm-hmm. You know, face is even covered, right? I think that yeah. could be really cool. Like, what kind of variants can we do with that? Um, can we unmask Kronos? Right. You know, see what his face looks like, you know? Maybe we will, right? And so that's actually going to be one of the things we're going to have a, a tricky time with is, is recognizability of the other classes once they get different skins in. Yeah. So that's going to be a challenge. An, an uphill battle we're going to have to figure out in the coming months. One of the things that I noticed talking to some of the other developers here is how much everybody's excited about creating something that sustains yeah. over a long period of time. And it's not just put it on the shelf and then move yeah, on to the next project. Yeah, fire and forget. Yeah. Is that something that you're excited about too? Is that one of the reasons I'm that excited, this... I'm nervous. Um, it's kind of, it's not really that different from some of what was done before in regards to DLC. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is, you know, if we release new maps, we're going to have to make sure everybody gets it. You know, the game has to be what the game is. But also what I'm looking forward to is having what I call test kitchens uh, <laughs> for certain servers where like, you know, let's, you know, try this you know, new game type. Yeah. Or here's a new map to see what it's like in, in gray box mode. Mm-hmm. And then just really, I'm looking forward to flipping the switch on this game 
and getting the feedback from the community because we, we make what we think is fun or balanced, and they will completely upend that the second it comes out. And, you know, we, we may ship with six or eight or however many maps, but they're going to they're gonna have their one or two that they always want to play. They're facing worlds or they're dust two or whatnot. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you can make your best assumption and then trust the gamers to kind of give you the feedback to of what they think is best. And one of the things you mentioned on stage was uh, infusing the game or all the game types with drama. Yeah. And uh, I certainly think that was an interesting variation on Capture the Flag that we're playing today. It's called Overcharge, is that right? Yeah, Overcharge. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, about what you what you mean by drama? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was becoming a fan of, as I alluded to on stage, of American football. And even, you know, you look at the NCAA tournament ending in regards oh, to the buzzer beaters. Like, that's, that's drama. That's cool, man. Yeah. You know, but, that, like, I haven't seen a lot of games that really try and emulate that in regards to shooters. And so, you know, I tasked my design team. I was like, guys, you know, make the matches end with drama and people hooting and hollering. And, you know, when you hear that, and people can't, people can't fake that. You know, they, they get emotionally, they get emotionally invested. And when you get those last-second steals, yeah. of, you know, the battery going back and forth. And same thing with, you know, I always joke about kickers in football. You know, you don't need one until you need one. If you don't have one, you're fucked. Yeah. You know, and so <laughs> at the end of the day, when they try and, you know, show up and no pressure when you're in front of a stadium of 70,000 people and, you know, so much is on the line, you know, yeah. millions of dollars and, you know, everyone's counting on you and if you screw up, you got to live in that town in which everyone hates you, you know, Bill <laughs> Buckner. Was it Bill Buckner who dropped the ball in the Red Sox championship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, it Bill went Buckner. to his legs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'll never forget seeing that as a kid. But that's drama, <laughs> right. you know, and that's, that's what we're going for with our game types. I think when you guys... And not today, but eventually in the future, get around to seeing what our variant is uh, like capture and hold domination. I think it's going to be uh, pretty pretty well received as well. So, so the idea was to kind of take something that we know and, and tweak it a little bit, make it yeah, our own. Well, you know, sometimes people get nervous about that. It's like, oh, do CTF, you know CTF, and everyone knows the rules to that. It's like, dude, gamers they'll learn. Yeah. You know, and if they don't, somebody will make a YouTube video for it. Yeah. You know, and somebody will, will yammer on Twitch about it. Like, you know, post Minecraft and post Reddit, post YouTube. We're in a self-sustaining world in regards to people learning infinitely complex games, and so you know. Let's make our game, you know, pretty deep, and, and you know, if it's a little tricky for them, people will learn. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things I came away with most is that it, it has that high skill cap. It really does feel like a game that could live in esports. It feels like a game that is the, the people who are good are going to be real, real good. I know, I know. That's what I'm terrified of. <laughs> Well, we actually had the conversation when the game finally goes live that none of us will be allowed to kind of jump online and, and slaughter some games. <laughs> yeah, you're enjoying it while you can. Well, we'll mess with the matchmaking. You know? So it's kind of like you know watching animals in the Serengeti. You just let nature do its thing. Right, right. You know? And then uh, we'll see what happens. And you know, if we want to have a land where we play our game, we can. But it's, uh, it's going to be, you know, for me, it's inherently gratifying to, you know, especially at an event like this, to stand around the room and see people who just you know, picked up the game, learning how to do it, and to see moments you know, where... Like I said, I saw earlier where somebody, you know, got kicked off the map and then the person had enough juice and they flew right back up and, and, and starfalled into him and killed him and it was amazing. And also to, to get to the point where, you know, we actually have jibbing in our game. You know, people turn to itty bitty bits. You yeah. know, we actually have blood and people actually do say some curses. You know, tonally, I think we're kind of setting ourselves apart from a lot of the other PC shooters that are coming out right now. Made for an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, are you keeping tabs on, on Gears of War 4? Are you, are you looking forward to seeing how that... Well, that was, that was the thing that was so full circle, was, you know, uh, going out to the Game of Thrones premiere at the Grauman's Chinese Theater, whatever we're calling it these days, um, and that was the very stage where I demoed Gears 1 all those years ago, yeah. and to, for Bill Gates and everybody, and then to see one of my favorite shows premiere, you know, with the cast and the crew, was, with my wife, was pretty amazing, but then, at the end of the night, to be back at the hotel and to see that trailer on my phone, you know, it's, uh, I think they're going to nail it, I think Rod, know, Rod knows Gears, and Gears, at its core, apart from it being a shooty-shooty game about big lizard men and chainsaws, 
it's always been about daddy issues. And then to see Marcus, you know, and having that whole bit with the tree and the sun, that, yeah. that, that got me right in the feels, man. That was oh, pretty good. powerful stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it as well. It looks, looks great. I wish nothing but good things for them, so I think it'll be great. Well, Lawbreakers looks awesome. Thanks, man. I'm um, really enjoying playing it. I, I, I need to get better, that's yeah, for sure. Well, the practice makes perfect. And play with people that are better than you. That's how you get better. Exactly. It sounds like I'm farting right now. <laughs> it's the sofa, I assure you. Uh, yeah, we just sit in here just farting away. Yeah. <laughs> farting around with Cliff Blazinski. Thanks so much, man. Cool. Appreciate yeah, it. No problem. Yeah. Thanks. Wherever you